0: Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today uh, through this medium as we try to do each week. Uh, We miss once in a while, but we try not to. Uh, For our sermon recap, looking at the sermon that we had on Sunday morning during our morning service and just talking about it as pastors, uh, today we have the cream of the crop when it comes to the pastors. Yeah. Yeah, Just me and you, Spencer. That's
1: it. The cream. Yeah. Yeah. The the. So
0: rises to the top. Yeah. So we won't have four voices today. We'll just have the two that two. you love. Yeah. The two that you come here for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The two that you uh you cherish. Today is the day after the fourth of July. And so we are a little tired. At least I'm a little tired. I don't know if you are, Spencer. Yeah. I was out yeah. late a little bit with the kids doing stuff and just having yeah. fun. Yeah, we are swimming in the dark. I didn't, go did to, that.
1: I didn't go to bed till after midnight. William, I brought the kids home.
0: And then I was up watching Monster Quest. Did you go to, <laughs> I know people probably don't care about this. Did you go see fireworks at uh, Pastor Scott's neighborhood? Yeah. Were they, they good?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, those people, they put on, and you can feel the debris falling on you too. <laughs> yeah. It's like you're, a, if anybody's seen the movie Glory, yeah. it's a movie from the 80s. It about the Civil War and they're assaulting a fort that's kind of what it felt like a little bit with the things <laughs> bursting in the air and then the debris falling on your face.
0: Yeah, it's interactive.
1: But it was, they were really good fireworks. I mean, <laughs> there's some people out there that spent some amazing money to put that on. Yeah. And I'm thankful it wasn't me, but they were really good
0: fireworks. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad you guys had a good time. Yeah. I hope others were able to have a good time together as well. You know, 4th of July, most people seem to get together with somebody and eat or do something. And so hopefully you got to do that and have some fun. But we do want to recap. Uh, we started a series this past week that we'll do in the summer on the Psalms. And the reason we, we oftentimes go to the Psalms in the summer is because Psalms can kind of be a one-off sermon. We know that in the summer, a lot of people go on vacation or go camping, uh, different things. And so You'll see people tend to miss a little bit more uh, throughout the summer, but we don't want them to, you know, miss a sermon series, I guess. You know, as we were doing Ephesians, if you missed a couple weeks, you would be behind a little bit, or maybe you'd wonder why we were talking about what we were talking about. But in the Psalms, we don't necessarily have that. And so that's why we try to go to the Psalms. I was trying to think through, you know, what Psalms to do. In the past, we really just bounced around. We didn't have any rhyme or reason to the Psalms that we were doing. Uh, We were just bouncing around in the Psalms. Um, But this time, we're going to focus on Psalm 42 to 49, and then also Psalm 85, I believe. These are all Psalms of the sons of Korah. I'll probably do some background on the Sons of Korah maybe this week. I had it all in my sermon wrote down, but I knew I didn't have time, and so it was a last-second decision as I walked to the pulpit saying, I'm not going to do that background today. Uh, so maybe maybe this coming week we'll do some background on who are the Sons of, of Korah, uh, why, why might they even be listed in the Psalms, but there is some debate, at least from what I've seen in my studies so far, we'll have to see with the rest of the Psalms, but... Of who wrote these psalms? Was it the sons of Korah that wrote these psalms? Was it David who wrote these psalms for the sons of Korah to sing, or to put music to? Even, um, I don't think it really changes the meaning of the psalms too much. Uh, maybe you can just give some historical perspective because those who uh, think that it was David and Spencer, maybe maybe you've done some study in this before. It seems to me whenever. I'm reading a psalm attributed to David, and he's exiled. They always talk about it has to be him with Absalom, always. Oh, really? That's I mean, at least that's what it seems like. Maybe I'm yeah that a little bit. But there, even even this one, uh, because this week we did Psalm forty-two and forty-three, hmm. and the person is in exile. It seems, or they're away from Jerusalem. Uh, they actually say uh, the writer says that they're at uh, in a mountain. Uh, they say the land of Jordan and of Hermon, Mount Mizar, uh, which is a ways a ways away from Jerusalem. There and so those who kind of contributed this psalm to David were saying he was pro- probably running from Absalom here. Uh, probably getting away, or or whatever the case might be, uh, which could be true. I mean, I I don't. Yeah, that
1: was definitely a um a major mm-hmm. event in in David's life. We know Psalm three at the very beginning of this altar is written whenever he's fleeing from Absalom. Right, but. Uh, yeah, no, I did not know that. I didn't know so many of them are attributed to that situation. Which would
0: make sense. I mean, could you imagine being chased by your son so he could kill you to be king, the lament that you're probably are going right. through? You know what right. I mean? I mean, very difficult uh, time in his life. And feeling the uh, the
1: sword mm-hmm. continually fall upon your family because of as a consequence right. of your mm-hmm. own sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a very, uh, yeah, a very difficult situation.
0: So we, we focus this week on Psalm 42 and 43, and the reason that I combine these two psalms is because of the language. Uh, most commentaries do combine these two psalms together, but the language in them is just so similar uh, because you have lament and then you have hope. You have lament, you have hope. You have lament, you have hope. And in a lot of the verses, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but it's verse 5. Uh, verse 11, and then verse 5 of Psalm 43 are the same. I mean, those are the same same verses, word for word. The only one that's a little different is verse 8, when it talks about hope. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. But the rest of them ask a question. The writer of the Psalm goes through all this lament, but then says, why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? So there's this question he's kind of asking himself, but then he gives the answer, right? The, the answer that he needs, I guess. Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It's kind of interesting because it seems as if the psalmist is preaching to himself, And I think this is something that should be common for Christians uh, to do, because the fact is, we maybe have never had our child chase us down and try to kill us to take over everything. I have. Yeah. yeah, That happens to you sometimes? Yeah. yeah. They want your Lego collection. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we do have difficulty, and all Christians, no doubt, in their life at times face turmoil where whatever it might be. I mean, it could be things at home are good, but things at work are awful and you driving to work every day. You just dread it. You dread getting there. Uh, when the weekend comes, you know, Friday's over, you get home from work and already Saturday morning comes and you think just a couple of days and I'll be back at work, you know, and you're just dreading whatever it is. And maybe it's not even you hate your job. Maybe it's a big task at work that there's tons of pressure. And you're just feeling that pressure. You're feeling the anxiety of it. Um, I mean, that's just one example. There's, there's so many things. You know, your family could be facing a death with a loved one or financial trouble or there's just things in the world, just the things in the world. You might watch the news every morning and it just ruins your day. I'm, who knows? But as Christians, we have a hope. We have a, we have a hope that has been given to us because of what God has done for us in Christ. And so kind of like this psalmist here, we need to be preaching to ourselves on a daily basis. When we look around and all this struggle and this turmoil, we could ask this same question, right? That is asked in verses five, verses eleven, and then verses five verse five again. You know, why why am I cast down? Why am I struggling right now? Why is there so much turmoil? And the answer to them questions for the psalmist are all the verses before they he's answered that. So it, it's kind of like a rhetorical question he's asking. Right. I think yeah, yeah. No, he's
1: he's asking his own soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you down in the in the dumps? Why are you in turmoil? And I think one of the things that's comforting is the fact that whoever the psalmist is is comfortable addressing that situation in his life. Um, he doesn't, you know, Christianity doesn't like. Uh, deny the problems of life. It, it is honest about the struggles that we experience in this life. It's honest about them. And so you can come to church and it be cast down and be in turmoil. The key thing is, though, is that we're going to point you to hope in God, for you will again praise him, uh, your salvation and your God. And so I think that's that's very comforting that whenever you read the Psalms, they're always very honest about the realities of life that we, that we face, um, the problems that we face. And maybe also, um, one of the things he does, you're right. I think these are probably rhetorical questions, but then also when we think about helping other people or we're talking to ourselves, asking ourselves, what's the problem? What is, uh, I think I read it. I saw an article one time titled like, what ails you? Uh, because Jesus, does he ask that question one time? What ails you or what's the problem? And then Jesus meets that with himself Similarly, when we go meet other people, you know we we should be uh, good. We should be, in a sense, if we're going to help other people or help ourselves, we have to begin by diagnosing the problem, but then giving them the solution, which ultimately is to have confidence and rest and hope in God. That no matter what difficulties or darkness may come, it will be okay because God is in control, mm-hmm. and He will He will take care of us and shepherd us and lead us back. Um, you know, to, to,
0: to himself uh, somehow, some way. Yeah, If you think about it for us as believers, the question, why are you cast down on my soul uh, is a good question because of our soul should never be cast down our soul. Right. I can think, why is my body cast down? I've been beaten. I've been tried. You know, I'm just physically exhausted. I'm physically tired. Uh, my mind you know, why is my mind cast down? Oh, man, like we talked about with work, oh, the struggles at work, you know, and the pressure and the thinking that I'm having to go do, I'm just, I'm mentally just exhausted. Well, when you start talking about your soul as a believer, our soul should be completely satisfied in Christ at all times. And so it's almost like that question is like, all this stuff is for the psalmist. All these things are going on in my life, but soul, why are you cast down? Yeah. You know, yeah. my soul should not be cast down. And then he reminds himself of why that is. We have hope in God, right? Right, right. Who has steadfast love uh, for us.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: I I try to describe that steadfast love. That that word hesed or mm-hmm. kesed, I guess some might say. It's, it's spelled kind of weird. Mm-hmm. C-H-E-S-S-E-D, I think, yeah. is how Something it's spelled. Like but this is such a special relational love that God has for his people. Yes. Yeah. And it was kind of interesting too because uh, I'd have to remember where it is. Oh, whenever whenever the psalmist was talking about um, how they say to me all day long, but then in verse in chapter in Psalm 43 verse 1, it says "vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly." That word ungodly is really the unhesed Mm. those who do not have God's steadfast love are the ones pouring all this onto me. And then that's what, you know, then asking a the question. So why is my soul cast down? These people are not in the covenantal relationship right. with God, but I am right. Yeah, I am. They can do all these things to me, but they can't take this steadfast love. And, and the Psalmist keeps reminding himself of that is nothing can touch the steadfast love um, of God. And this is where I think it's important for people to really study their Bibles in terms of the Old Testament to try to really grasp and understand the relationship that God had with Israel. Um, it, it's kind of foreign to a lot of people today. You know, we don't think about it too much, but this, these covenants that God made with, with Abraham, right? The covenants that God made with Moses and with David are so foundational in Scripture, even for us today as as Gentile believers. They're foundational in understanding God's love and, and how it works. Right. Well, I think, yeah, the co- covenant is um, uh, an
1: agreement, um, a compact uh, that binds together two parties, two people. And so you see that uh, in Scripture between, I always think about, again, like... Um, uh, Jacob and Laban, uh, whenever Jacob runs away, remember Laban is chasing him, and then the Lord stops Laban and says, don't you touch him, basically, and then they, they make an, an agreement. Mm-hmm. They have a meal, and so they make a covenant of sorts uh, between each other. I don't even know if the word covenant is technically used there, but the point is, is there's that between equals, but now with God, he comes and enters into an agreement that binds us to him and him to us, and so you can see that um, that especially in the in the, the Pentateuch the first five books of the Bible um, you can see this this covenant nature uh, coming out where God tells his people that um, you are my God, that uh, you are my people, and I will be your God. He says here, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26, he says, You have declared today that the Lord is your God, and that you will walk in his ways, and keep his statutes, and his commandments, and his rules, and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession, as he has promised you. So there's a sense in which God is declared, they're both declaring publicly, You're declaring today that you're the people of God. I, God is declaring that you are his people and so you're it's like a marriage ceremony you're brought together in a perpetual union and so that steadfast love is the the faithfulness uh unflinching unfailing loyalty and faithfulness to your covenant promises and to the vows that you took and God has made vows to us mm-hmm. and that's a powerful thing when you think about that um, that the Lord has made vows to us and has uh, made promises to us. I was just listening to um, Alistair Begg recently, and it was actually, I think, from his Reformation Day sermon, maybe last year, I don't remember, but he said apparently he knows something about uh, Roman and Greek mythology, of all things, I didn't know that. But one of the things he said, if you read those um, those stories, one of the things you see is that, those that uh, in those stories, people... Make promises to the gods and say, God, tell, the, tell the, the, the Greek gods or the Roman gods that I will do this if you do this for me. Mm-hmm. I will do this for you if you do this for me. But in the Bible, it's the opposite. God makes promises to us. It's not us making promises to him. It's him making his promises to us. And that's ultimately what Psalm 42 is, the, is what this uh, psalmist is leaning upon, is the fact that God has made promises to him and he will keep those promises. Mm-hmm. Um, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 4, that Abraham faith is believing that God is able to do what he has promised. Mm-hmm. And that's what the psalmist ultimately has to be driven back over and over again to believe, hoping God, God is able and will do what he's promised to me. No matter how, I may not understand how that's going to happen. Uh, we have much more clear sight because of what we know about the cross of Christ, but he will keep his promises to me. The ungodly ultimately will be defeated. Those who are outside of Christ who, you know, God will set everything right. And this will work um, one day,
0: mm-hmm. I think is the great the great comfort of uh, of the psalmist yeah and this steadfast love so often is one-sided and it's god sided right It's him loving us. We see it over and over again in the Old Testament with yeah. Israel they disobey their part of the covenant they don't keep their side of the covenant, but yet God is still faithful you know he there there has to be punishment sometimes yeah. There has to be uh, consequences for sin, but the love of God still remains on them. And how Israel had to think. And you know, we see God reminding them this so often of God telling them, "I chose Abraham. Yeah, I chose Moses. Right. I've I've chosen you. And I mean, we even see references to like uh, the story of Esau and Isaac. Right. This one I chose." You know, Jake, all this, right. all this story, we, we see this and why is God saying this? It's just, again, reminding them of my love is for you. I've put my love on you and you're not going to take it away. Nobody is going to take it away. And how Israel would just hang and hold on to that. Yeah. And, and then how so similar we see then after Christ, uh, kind of that same language used so often. I mean, we just went through that with Ephesians or we just see where it's like, while you were still a sinner. Yeah. Christ yeah. died for
1: you, right? Well, I mean, another example, if, especially if we're going to tie this to David and then with Absalom. Mm-hmm. The key thing, if you're reading through Second Samuel for the first time ever, God makes that covenant with David in chapter seven so, of Two yeah. Samuel, saying, "Unlike Saul, I'm, I'm going to you. I'm not going to break my covenant with you." But then, we see David commit great sins; his whole family's thrown in chaos. He, in a sense, does even more wicked things, or at least,
0: seems, yeah. that, that, you know, at some right. level yeah, than yeah. Saul yeah. did. Mm-hmm. And
1: so our question is, well, is God going to take away the kingdom from David now? Um, and we see, of course, he doesn't. But then the question is, is, you know, you think about um, then with Absalom, eventually, who's, we're told it looks great. He's got great mm-hmm. a great head of hair. <laughs> yeah. He's got a chariot mm-hmm. and um, there's no blemish in him and he's a he's a good talker he gets all the men of Israel liking him and even david's closest advisor Ahithophel, lines up with him and the question is is you know and at the very end of the day as david is is in exile running away but yet the lord is there taking care of him why did the lord decide to go ahead and keep david as the king instead of putting his son absalom or saul and again, I'm pulling from Alistair back because I've been listening to that sermon series, but the Lord didn't prefer uh, David over Absalom because David was a better person over Absalom. He preferred David because he preferred David and he had set his steadfast love upon David just as he had set it upon Jacob instead of Esau, just as he set it upon Isaac instead of Ishmael, just as he set it on Abraham, this unflinching covenant loyalty and devotion. Now, because he's loyal, he does discipline us. Mm-hmm. like a father does his children, but he will never ultimately cast us away. And so um, that is the, the resting place of the psalmist here. Um, and, and that, I think, is one of the great things about the psalms, is they meet us where we're at, but this is a book of prayers and praises uh, to God, either corporately or individual prayers, however they're written. But they're, all, in a sense, always pathways from where we're at to get us to God. There are always pathways and there's different places where we're at. Sometimes we're happy and we need a pathway to lead us in praise to God. And this is like a pathway, a template, a, a way to lead us to God whenever we are feeling like our soul is thirsting for God and we're, st- we're, we're just starving and we're, we're spiritually depressed or down mm-hmm. and our soul's down and to lead us back um, uh, to him and to rest in, in his steadfast love.
0: Yeah, I had mentioned five things in my sermon that this writer's soul continually longs for, and then the one solution to it all. We've been talking about the solution, the the hope and the steadfast love of God. That is the solution. But just real quickly, to recap, the five things um, in Psalm 42, verses 1 through 2, very famous as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, oh God, This you just mentioned this, Spencer, this longing for god where you're you're thirsty for the things for the things of god right here. right right and we see this here from this psalmist
1: and and you talked about right you've seen this yeah. while hunting right and you have yeah. you're there, oh look at that it reminds me of psalm 42 one <laughs> bang <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that i mean when you hunt you sit uh, uh, over yeah, water sources yeah <laughs> okay on purpose on purpose yeah, yeah 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 that's a good point i didn't say i was hunting though in the this oh but were you yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Look, that deer's thirsting for water just like <laughs> I'm going to quench I solved that problem.
1: Not always. Oh, boy. Sometimes
0: you just watch and see what's happening. But that anyway. would be
1: another podcast, Hunting with Pastor Tim. Hunting, yeah. Wow. Yeah, do well, a little devotional. Just Probably like, wouldn't be many episodes. Hey, guys, hey, Hey, we're in the tree standing in here. Just <laughs> There's a thirsty deer. There's a thirsty deer.
0: <laughs> Anyways. Okay. Go ahead. Anyways, I did talk about a little bit the difference between thirst and hunger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't know how much is there. That's why I just did it really quick. But there is a thing of talking about thirst, and it reminded me of Jesus talking about in John 7 that he's the living water. Because, again, yeah. I encouraged us as we read the Psalms, Then Christopher Ash does this in his books on the Psalms. He has this two-volume set on the Psalms. He talks about us uh, thinking of the fact that these Psalms point to Christ and Christ would have these Psalms memorized, right? Yeah. Um, probably all the Jewish kids did. This is, a, this is what they sung. Uh, right. This is what they studied. And him then teaching these probably even and, and talking about them with his disciples or whatever it might be mm-hmm. is very different, I guess, from us probably hearing the Psalms because he's, yeah. you know, like this, my soul thirsts, like as a deer, you know, as this psalmist is writing, and Jesus in, is reading this thing, I am the water that everybody needs to right. so not thirst. And he would talk about it with the Samaritan woman. Um, he would tell people, "Come to me, mm-hmm. drink from me." Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that given to us now as mm-hmm. as believers, where we we know this. We live after Christ; He's come, He, and we have His Word. and And so, when we when we read this psalm, I really think our, our minds should think of that. You know, and and as we go along in this psalm with the author of the struggles of life, and how he's saying, I just I just thirst for God, and I, I want to have God where we can know we've been given Him, right, right. We've been told as Christians we've been given Jesus, and we're filled with the right. Holy Spirit.
1: Well, I think it's very important too because I'm not I've never been to the Middle East, so uh, I don't know this, but I'm assuming especially in David's time period, right? Uh, it's it's w- going back, uh, you know, before we had running water in your home and everything. If you wanted water, you had to have a water source. And it wasn't, it wasn't like it was always brought to you. You had mm-hmm. to go to it. Um, So like the woman at the well in Samaria, she had to go to the water source to bring the water to Mm -hmm. her home. And the the, the deer has to go to the flowing stream to get Mm -hmm. the water. Um, And uh, so without modern plumbing and everything, you had to, the water sources were valuable. And uh, that's often why... um, you know, great empires and countries, oftentimes will you, you see them either connected to the ocean or to a river. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about the, the Babylonian empire, like how could, they had two major, the Euphrates river and the Tigris river. And, um, and, and it also reminds us in the garden of Eden, where we were told explicitly that there were multiple rivers. It was a well watered garden mm-hmm. because water is so valuable and life giving. And, uh, yeah so anyway, I just think that that's a helpful point to be reminded of because that's sure. why David wants to go to God, right because he has to go to the source.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah And so I think there's some reflection we can do as we read this psalm because there is a question that can be asked you know when's the last time you really longed for God, you know where he was the one who was going to satisfy that, that thirst that you're looking for in life and sadly, we go a lot of places, other places to satisfy our Our need of rest or our need of hope. And the psalmist understands at this point, you know, that it's God that he is thirsting for. And so, first he says, My soul, you know, my soul is longing for you, for you, oh God. Uh, But then is longing to worship God in the temple, in the temple, because the, the author's away from the temple. The temple is the place that God has chosen to, uh, have his spirit, I guess, reside, right? We have the Holy of Holies there. We have the Ark of the Covenant there. The mercy seat is there. This is where the high priest would go to offer sacrifices yearly for the sins of the people here. And there's something special. Now I did, I did try to talk real briefly that the old Testament uh, saints didn't think that God could only be worshiped in the temple. I think that's important to notice, but there is something special about the temple. And that God ordained for them and told them to go to the temple and worship. Yeah. And here the writer is just longing for that because he can't do that. Right. He's away in exile. It's just it's just impossible for that right. to happen. And so just longing to do to do worship if that's if that's the right language there. The way that God ordained for yeah. him to do it. And he hasn't been able to do that in a yeah. while. I think there's a helpful like um
1: because you're right. Even da- even Solomon, whenever the temple was established, mm-hmm, his yeah. great prayer says, "This building cannot contain you, God." Right, yeah. So obviously, God's God is essentially present, of course, everywhere. He is omnipresent, but he doesn't his he doesn't always reveal himself in a in the gospel everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's present. He's present all over the globe. But he doesn't. Re- it's only whenever he reveals his gospel there that he's present there as um, revealing himself to us and manifesting himself. So similarly, at the temple, they believed he was everywhere, but there was. But the Lord manifested his presence in a special way to teach them and to show Israel. Who he was uh, through the, the uh, through the temple sacrifices, through the praises that were offered, through all the ceremonies and the whole ordained worship, God was specifically revealing Himself to Israel um, in a way that that uh, was was unique. Uh, so God was just as present in Egypt and in Philistia just as much as He was in Jerusalem, but He wasn't revealing Himself to those countries as He was to Israel at where the ark was Mm -hmm. where the sacrifices were at yeah
0: yeah so we see him talking about his longing to worship in jerusalem in the temple but also with the people of god yeah because he talks about how and this is why people think it's david is leading the procession uh as king to the temple for the festival for for the thanksgiving and praising and worshiping right and so you can kind of picture that in your head i guess all the songs and the praise and and the instruments as david would write songs that instruments would be involved and this would be where the sons of Korah would step in they would be leading this this charge of praise and of worship and and the writer here is just longing for that again again this just sense of being alone and and maybe the writer's not even alone probably not in exile by himself probably with other people especially if it's david uh king david uh But just this specialness of being in the house of God with the people of God, all with the same focus, and that is to worship God in that time. And honestly, I I just don't hear this too often today. I mean, I do hear it from some, uh, but even I, I, I guess I could speak of myself at times of where I'm probably guilty of taking for granted the fact that I have the privilege and nothing is holding me back from being able to come together with the people of God and worship God in, in a place that God has given us to gather together to worship him.
1: Yeah. I think this is a big deal. Um, I think part of it is, first of all, like you mentioned, I don't know how many people are thirsting for this, but I think the, the, if they, even if they don't feel the thirst, we know that they are thirsty um, for it. Uh, So, we know that they need this. They need this water. I need this water. Um, a God who reveals himself, um, especially, again, you can read your Bible at home, but the Christian life is fascinating. from And, the, and actually, God's ordained way um, from creation. It is not good for man to be alone all the way to the end of the book then, where it's not a random collection of individuals, but it's a new people, and we're united as a as a as a whole city of people, the New Jerusalem, uh, with with God as our Father. Uh, this is, I think, this is one of the things where we our our instinct is to think of spiritual things, even if it's not Christianity, in very very radically individualistic terms, um, and. It, it is an, indi- there is an individual component and I don't want to deny that, but, um, but we, we forget. So like to the point where right today where, um, we see people that, that try to get their spiritual nourishment through the internet yeah, or through the TV or mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. and it's just them. And, th- but that we know that that's not long. That's not for your spiritual good right. that you, you need yeah. to be with the people of of God. Mm-hmm. You need to be with your brothers and sisters because there's a special thing that happens. Um, God reveals himself. I mean, again, Jesus didn't take just 12 random people and let him stay wherever that he brought 12 guys together as a group to be a group, uh, the foundation really of, of a new renewed Israel. Um, and, and so I think the point is, is that there's a, the, the corporate dimension is so whenever you read the scriptures, you can't help but notice it, it's everywhere Old Testament New Testament creation fall redemption um it's always there and um I think that's 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 a very good thing I mean you're right notice how depressed David is and he feels lonely even if he's not alone and he wants to be back with other people he wants to um he wants to hear, be with the throng of mm-hmm. of those who are who are worshiping I also think one of the things is is um and I'm I'll tie in my Sunday school class if that's okay a little bit.
0: Yeah, you can plug it. Go ahead.
1: I'm plugging it. We're going to talk about Gnosticism this week. And uh, actually, I've read stuff that some, I think even scholars, have argued that Gnosticism is the American religion. Um, And part of the Gnosticism is that it is always about, it drives you inward to your own self, and so it always becomes about your individual experiences and the secret knowledge that you yourself get and unlock and, and mm-hmm. whatever. And actually it becomes a very lonely place though, doesn't it? You think about American religion, it's always just, you you do your thing, you do your thing, you do your thing, whatever works for you. And, um, so I just think that what that does though, is it drives us inward, but the gospel, the gospel, the the way God has ordained it, is that we, we do need to examine ourselves, but then that's always to drive us back outside to hear a Bible read by somebody else, or to read the Bible for ourselves outside of us, or to go to church to talk to people who are not ourselves. So you see, it's always pulling us outside of ourselves to be spiritually nourished by things outside of us instead of going and diving in for spiritual nourishment. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that is a, a component that you see even here with David. What's his solution? Hope in God outside of himself and also I want to be with those people again, mm-hmm. outside of himself, the throng. It's not to sit here and meditate and just stew continually. Ultimately, there's a solution outside of outside of his despair, and it's ultimately found outside of himself. In, yeah. in a, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And Spencer, would you say you're more introverted or an extroverted person? Oh, uh, very introverted. Yeah. And I tend to feel more comfortable about myself yeah. than with people as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and so from two introverted people, we are saying, that we see very clearly in Scripture the need to be with other people and worshiping God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it. There are times where my soul feels much more at rest and peace when I'm by myself. <laughs> yeah, I get yeah. that. And I so we're not saying that that's not true in a sense. And you've, no, and you've tried to say that I think as you've been talking. Um, but there is something about gathering together what God has called us to do—to gather together, right—to fellowship together to encourage one another, to hold each other accountable, to remind yeah. each other of the truth of scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, the writer here is reminding himself, why are you cast down on my soul, Hope in God? But it would be even better if it was his brother or sister in the Lord who would be saying, why are you so cast down? Remember our hope in the Lord? Come on, let's go. We'll pick yourself up. You know, let's worship, let's praise. Um, and we and we need that. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, I I did I don't want to like cast stones and, and beat up on people for not being at church all the time. I, I feel like that gets kind of cliche, you know, like, oh, here comes the pastor. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I think for what we've been through over the past few years, I think it revealed that we took worshiping together for granted big time. Yeah. And then uh, through COVID, when we didn't gather for a little bit, there were some, who normally would gather, who are like, I, I don't need this. Right, right. And it kind of revealed their true colors, I think. Um, but for others, they started to feel that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's not the same when you're in your living room watching right. TV right. or on the internet. Yeah, that basic creational principle, it is
1: not good for man to be alone. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that was a basic principle that applies to, the gospel doesn't eliminate that. yeah. Like, and that doesn't simply apply to marriage, mm-hmm. that applies to, human society in general it is not good for you uh uh, to be alone and also another thing is we can bring that same mentality into corporate worship if we're not careful as well to where we come and we show up for the worship service but we only show up um still with a mentality of of uh of uh a, a still a very self-focused nature. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. And oh, so yeah. I think mm-hmm. it, first step is to, uh, even if you don't feel like it, to show up because we do believe this is an ordained way that God works mm-hmm. to reveal himself to us through the Bible, to encourage us, but then also helping your mind then once you're there to not... To, to, to also try to stretch out to other people because like even with singing, right, we are, that's a corporate element, but it's not simply singing to myself. No, I'm right. to address other people mm-hmm. in Psalms. And so there's an outward focus even for that. So yeah, I think that's, that's appreciating the great gift that the church is.
0: Yeah. So to wrap this up, I mean, we have this writer, um, uh, and these were the last couple points. His soul is just longing for peace from the troubles of this world. He's facing things that are very difficult. And then on top of that, he has the ungodly getting into him, speaking to him, saying, "Where is your God at? you know, just just kind of making fun of him for his hope that he does have. And so he's just in a tough spot away from what he feels, you know, away from uh, being able to worship God, away from the people of God in just desperate times, and has the enemy all around him, ridiculing him, poking at him, prodding at him, making fun of him. And he is writing this psalm out and reminding himself, my hope is not found in the things of this world. My hope is in God. Right? I mean, that's what's really happening here. And that's what's so great about the message that we have, the gospel that we've been given to share with people can be shared anywhere in this world and the hope is the same you know we don't have to go to some place and say you know if you guys could just build a building then you could be a church and understand this hope together we don't we don't say that we say that christ has come and if you by faith if you if you will have faith in what he has done the bible says he will save you he will save you and give you this hope that this writer has as well. And it can be cemented in that. I can't sit here and promise you blessings upon blessings of wealth, of fame, of, of no struggles in this life. In fact, I can show you to a lot of places where Jesus is going to say the opposite. You are going to be made fun of. You are going to face ridicule and persecution and whatever it might be. But don't fret. Just like this this person here. Don't fret. Even though the whole world comes against you, you still will be able to say to your soul, hope in God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I love the the the
1: uh verse here, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your uh dwelling. Mm-hmm. Um Those verses actually might be found also the uh, some of those verses that are found in the uh, Book of Common Prayer mm-hmm. at the opening for worship. And what a beautiful image it is of God bringing us back. We're in darkness. And God sends out your light and your truth to all the corners of the earth, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in the world, the light of his gospel and the truth of his grace. And just brings us in to this spiritual fellowship um, where we worship him and offer spiritual sacrifices, mm-hmm. including our, our own selves, um, Romans chapter 12, right, um, to worship him. And that is, a, that is a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, it is. Well, we'll continue on. We'll be in Psalm 44 uh, this coming Sunday and like so we'll just be working our way all the way to Psalm 49 and then we'll jump to Psalm 85 I believe is what I uh, wrote down in my notes that I was going to do Psalm 85 uh, because there's a couple other Psalms that are of the sons of Korah there in the 80s maybe a couple more um, that we won't be able to have time to do, uh, but they are in there. So if you want to read ahead, feel free to do that. Um, Look forward to preaching some of these, some of these Psalms and dissecting them uh, together and praying that God will use them in our, in our life. It's amazing how this book written so long, 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 long ago applies to our life today. Right. It's, it's almost like it's inspired. Yeah. Almost, almost like it was meant to be. It's like somebody planned it out. Well, I hope to see you this coming uh, Sunday. I hope that you're able to be here. We have a big week getting ready for Vacation Bible School this week. This coming Sunday, July 10th, we have a big VBS kickoff in the in the evening at six o'clock uh, for people. We'll have inflatables and different things. So hopefully you'll be able to come and be a part of that. And the next week we have Vacation Bible School, so we should have a lot of kids running around here and have the privilege and the opportunity to share with them uh, the truth of God's word and pray that God will use that in their hearts and in their lives. Maybe Maybe we're planting seeds. Maybe we're watering seeds. Maybe we'll even see some fruit yeah. uh, from it and see God work in kids' lives. So, just be praying uh, for that. But I do hope that I see you Sunday. Uh, but before then, I hope that you have a blessed week. God bless.